Hey, everybody. Okay, this is a bonus episode. This is extra. If 15 minutes of Parsha a week is not enough for you, if you're jonesing for more Parsha, then you, you may know that I teach a weekly Parsha class here at ICAR in Los Angeles every Thursday at noon uh, Pacific time. You're welcome. Um, we've got folks joining us virtually from places as far away as Japan on, on Zoom. And uh, we've been archiving video edits of the classes on YouTube, but we thought we might try cutting down the one-hour class to about 40 minutes for you, for the listeners of the Best Book Ever podcasts that might not be able to fit a midday class on a Thursday into your schedule. So I hope you enjoy listening to these as much as I enjoy teaching them. Um, if you're interested to attend the class from wherever you are in the world in person, then stick around at the end of the podcast. I'll tell you how to register. Um, just like the podcast, it's absolutely free, and we'd love to have you. This is it. This is like, this is the week. I almost played the Star Wars intro music because I want that feeling also like, you know, like just, this is it. This is the, this is the big, the big epic. This is the main event. I used to watch wrestling when I was a kid and the, the, there was the main event, the main, the main event. And this is the main event. Um, Parshat Yitro um, has in it the main event, the main event of the Torah, the main event in Jewish theology, um, the main event, and that is the revelation at Mount Sinai. Um, it's this. It's it's impossible to overstate the significance of this moment for Jewish theology, um, for Judaism. Um, it, it 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 first of all just le it legitimizes the whole Torah, right? That the idea here is it becomes. Uh, eventually the significance of this moment is that um, this is God showing the people that God is talking and Moses is God's prophet and therefore the entire Torah by by extension is also the word of God because this proves it okay so that's that's the big that's the big banner news um, but of course it's it it is so many other things this moment it is it is a en direct encounter with God, an entire people having a direct encounter with God. So it's a it's a spiritual peak for 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 these people. It, it is presented as the greatest encounter with God that the world has ever known. Um, it also, just in terms of the narrative of the Torah, it it's a it's a twist. It's it's um it's an it's a new layer which is that now the people have a mission and the people have a set of laws, the people have a way of, of, of conducting themselves in the world. And, and that, that much we didn't necessarily expect. This is, this is a surprise to them. So there's many things that this moment represents, but what I wanna look at today is the way in which this experience also represents great danger. Very dangerous, dangerous um, uh, event, very dangerous setting, very dangerous um, 
the whole the whole scene is is full of fraught with with danger and so uh, i want to try to understand where the danger is coming from and this is um and this is one of those classes where i don't i don't i don't have a a fully a fully worked out theory i'm not i'm not i'm not sure what the answer to this question is so i i will need your help to think through this um so let's let's get into it let's say a blessing over Torah study um, and over the, the giving of Torah itself, which we're commemorating this week. Um, and let's, let's have in mind, as we often do these days, that Torah study is merapet, is a, is a healing force in the world. Um, there's just, I, I, I know so many sick people right now. Um, it's just, a, it's a sick time. So may this uh, learning bring some healing into the world. All right. Okay, so here is the scene. Um, the people have left Egypt. They are, um, they are traveling through the desert. Just last week, they crossed the Red Sea, right? So this all happens very, very quickly. Um, they're... Uh, they're now wandering into the desert. Um, it's been um, a couple of months. And um, suddenly there is a, an announcement, a new announcement. And this is what I mean when I say it, it isn't as if God said um, early on, oh, I'll deliver you from Egypt and then you will, uh, then you will, um, come to Mount Sinai, and I'm going to do this incredible thing that will become the most significant event um, in 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 your people's collective memory for all of history. In fact, it's the Exodus which has taken all of our attention. It's the Exodus which is the big deal. It's the Exodus which um, which God is to be celebrated for, which forges the covenant. It seems like it, it could have just been the Exodus. And then chapter 19 of the book of Exodus opens and God suddenly says, now you've seen what I've done and I've, I've delivered you from Egypt and I've carried you on angels' wings and I've, you know, you've seen what I've done. Tell the, you know, remind the people of, of what I've done. And that's the first few verses in chapter 19. And then here, I'm going to give you a source sheet. And then here, um, be, here all of a sudden comes the announcement. And it's in verse nine of, of, of chapter 19. The Eternal said to Moses, Hine anochi ba elecha be'av he'anan. I am going to come to you in a thick cloud. Bavur yishma ha'am bedabri imach. So that the people may hear when I speak with you. V'gam b'chayaminu le'olam. And so they will trust you forever after this. Okay. So that actually, I mean, we could spend a lot of time just on that. That actually is an interesting, it, it, it's not clear why God's coming down. And initially it seems that the point is to verify Moses's prophecy more than to speak to the people directly. It, God is saying, the people will hear me speaking to you and as I said, this does become a legitimate, legitima, leg, legitimation, legitimization of Moses's prophecy. So 
that makes that makes some sense. But we could talk about that for an hour. What exactly is God trying to do here? Um, but our focus will be elsewhere today. So let's keep going. Um, and Moses reported the people's words to the eternal. This also is a little confusing. It's as if Moses went down, told them this, and then Moses came back and reported what the people said. Um, again, lots to, to, to study here in the commentaries. What, what exactly is the back and forth of the dialogue? And we, it, it will continue to be a little confusing. Moses, Moses is scrambling up and down the mountain. So we'll take note of this dialogue, but you'll see um, it's, this it's this bolded section that we're really going to pay attention to. Okay. The Eternal said to Moses, go. Now, now God has some messages of warning for the people. Messages of warning for the people. And as I count them, there are three things that God wants the people to do. Okay. And let's take note of that because uh, I'm not sure that all three get done. Okay. So here are the three things. The Eternal said to Moses, go to the people and warn them to sanctify themselves. Now, this is, this is a difficult translation. You, you may know the word. Kidashtam is like kidushah or holiness. So I've translated it as sanctify, though in this context, it probably better means separate themselves because that's what, like um, the seventh day, the Sabbath day is holy because it is set aside. So it has that double meaning. And I'm not sure exactly how to, the translation that I got on Safari said to, to um, keep themselves pure for, for, for today and tomorrow. It doesn't use the language of pure. I see where they're getting it from holiness. I've translated it as sanctify themselves, but it also means to separate themselves, to keep themselves apart. Okay, so that's, that's one. And then um, perhaps related to at least the ideas of sanctity, uh, or purity, um, then they also are to wash their clothes. The kipsu simlotam. Okay, is that one big instruction? Be pure and wash your clothes. Separate yourself and wash your clothes. But it seems like there's there's a couple of things there. Um, so um, so I'm I'm counting two. Sanctify themselves and wash their clothes. Okay, let them be ready for the third day. For on the third day the eternal will come down in the eyes of all the people on Mount Sinai. Okay, whoa, whoa. Okay, this is it. I'm going to be I'm going to be talking to the entire people. Never has there been an indication that that was going to happen. Now it's going to happen. This is our focus, though, for today, folks. So uh, th it's these lines that we're going to really uh, spend time trying to make sense of. You shall set boundaries for the people all the way around, roundabout. Lemore saying, Beware of going up the mountain or touching the border of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall die. Now this phrase here, shall die, um, I actually, the translation I, I, I received said, um, put, shall be put to death because that's exactly the phrasing that we use in all kinds of laws later. You know, if you, if you um, kill someone or break the Shabbat or, you know, lots of things that, that incur the death penalty, motumat, that person shall be put to death is the way we're translating it. I did not translate it that way. I just said shall die because it's a little funny. It sounds like a court case. 
But then again, it's not so clear what it means to say that whoever goes up the mountain will die or whoever crosses the border or touches the mountain will die. And then as if to explain that confusion, how will they die? God says something even more mysterious. Lo tigabo yad, note no hand shall touch that person, but he shall be either stoned or shot. That's okay, they're stoning back in those days. There's no guns, but there is, there are arrows. So it's like somehow nobody's gonna touch that person, but they'll die anyway with stone stones flying at them or or it's it's obviously there's something he, happening here that is that is supernatural, but it's not clear what. Whether beast or man, he shall not live. Okay. All right. And then there's this phrase, which I literally don't know how to, I don't think anyone knows how to translate this. So we're going to pretty much ignore it, but I'll read it because it's here. Only when the ram's horn sounds a jubilee blast, they may go up on the mountain. I, I, I don't know exactly. I don't know exactly what that means. Uh, the, the, there are notes all over the translations. Like we don't know what this means. Okay. Um, fine. That's our line. And that, is I'm, I'm soon gonna turn to, oops, well, uh, sure, let's make it public. I'm soon going to, oh, I just, hold on. Let me, let me just move this back up. I'm soon gonna turn to you and ask you why God is setting these boundaries and what is so dangerous that God is, is God threatening to kill or is, okay. Um, I'm soon going to ask you this, but let's just finish up the passage because it's important to see that this information gets repeated and it, it's not clear if it even gets um, communicated, okay? So just, just keeping track here, separate themselves, wash their clothes, and draw a boundary and do not let them cross that boundary. Do not let them touch the mountain. Nobody should touch the mountain. If anyone touches the mountain, they die. They die in ways, nobody's gonna touch them, they'll just die, okay? So that's the instruction. And then Moses goes down and he does sanctify the people and they do wash their clothes. And then Moses says something that God never said. And he said to the people, be ready for the third day. Do not go near a woman. Meaning don't have sex. But in the language of the patriarchy, right? Speaking to men, don't go near a woman. Now, God did not say that. Or at least we don't have record of God saying that. Is it Moses' understanding of what it means to sanctify yourself or to be pure or clean? I don't know. But God did not say that. What God did say was tell them not to approach the mountain. And this Moses doesn't seem to say. It's as if Moses replaced one of the three with don't have sex. Okay. Now, I, I want to highlight this both because it's a little strange, a lot strange, but also because the language that Moses uses to say don't have sex is don't go near a woman. And that language of going near, of course, is very important for our whole conversation. Right? Don't go near the mountain. Don't cross the boundary. 
So Moses uses that language, but to say something else entirely. And God notices this. God seems to notice that there's an omission. And God says, um, then, okay, the third day, there's, there's thunder, there's lightning, dense cloud, a loud blast of the horn. All the people were in the camp trembled. Moses led the people out of the camp. They took their place at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was all in smoke. Now it's, it's happening, the main event. And the eternal had come down upon it in fire. The smoke rose like the smoke of a kiln and the whole mountain trembled violently. And the blare of the horn grew louder and louder. And as Moses spoke, God answered him in thunder. Now, here it begins. The eternal one came down upon Mount Sinai. El Roshahar, on the top of the mountain. Now that should be it. From that moment, we should start hearing the Ten Commandments. Moses, the God came down. It all, there was all, there was three days of preparation. And then it's time. God comes down the mountain. I am the Lord, your God, right? That's what we should hear. But not quite yet, because God suddenly seems to realize, at least the way I'm reading it, that something's missing. So God says the following to Moses. God comes down on the mountain, but then God calls Moses up to the top of the mountain. And Moses went up. Like, can you imagine Moses is like, wait, why am I going up? What, what do you mean? We, we, we're ready. And the eternal said to Moses, go down and warn the people not to break through to the eternal to gaze, lest many of them perish. I'll read it in Hebrew. Go warn the people. Lest they, they come and they, they break through the boundary. They destroy the boundary. In order to see, in order to gaze. In order to gaze. And then many of them will die. Many of them will fall. Okay. God had to repeat that information. And I'm not surprised because Moses didn't say it. And God then adds, and also the priests, who do come near the eternal. This, by the way, same language that Moses used, don't go near a woman. So the priests who do come near to God, nigashim, they should also sanctify themselves, lest the eternal break out against them. And now the most confusing moment in the interchange, as far as I'm concerned altogether, is that Moses said to the eternal, yeah, the people can't come up to Mount Sinai because you already told us, saying set boundaries in the, around the mountain and sanctify it. It is, there's something missing there. There's something missing, like God tells Moses three things. Moses delivers two out of the three and then adds one of his own missing the key information, God seems to notice that and says, hey, remember to tell the people not to come near me, because if they do, they'll die. And Moses says, yeah, you already told us that. No, I know. They can't. They, 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 you already said that. It's like, yeah, but you didn't tell them that. Or did he? Are we getting all the information? So the dialogue itself is confusing. But the central question here is, is what, why? What is the concern? So let's just finish up the last two lines of the passage, and then I want to turn to you and ask you, what, what is the concern? What is God worried about? Um, okay, so just the last couple of lines here, where God repeats it once again. So the Eternal said to him, go down and come back together with Aaron, but let not the... Oh, I, 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 I read through that quickly. 
but that's strange too. Come back together with Aaron. But do not let the priests or the people break through, same language, to come up to the eternal, lest the eternal break out against them. And Moses went down to the people and spoke to them, and then 10 commandments. Okay, that's it. Then God spoke all these words, 10 commandments, hooray. Okay. But you can see there's like, there's a real concern here. God's got a concern right from the start. And Moses is somehow failing to fully communicate it. At least God doesn't think Moses, and, and, and Moses is saying other things. So it's a confusing scene, but one thing is clear, which is that God is saying, get back. Do not come close to me. Do not touch. Do not get anywhere near me or you'll die. Now, why? Why? What's so dangerous? So let's start with Matt. Uh, two things. One, I just wonder, and I don't have any backing for this, whether the don't go near a woman is a scribal issue that they've rewritten the story. And, and the reason I say that is because I think the Aaron being mentioned later is a adding into the story that there's the version without that Moses does stuff. And then there's Moses and Aaron because the priests want Aaron, but, but to directly to your question, I, I think there is this notion that it is actually deadly. This isn't a warning about, I will do this is, there's a number of times where we see this where it's actually deadly to do that. They're not saying, if you do that, I'm going to do something. But touching this kills. Good. Protect Good. yourself, because touching it, because being by God just kills by its nature. It's okay. not some action or decision. It's the way the world is. Okay, perfect. This is poisonous. Perfect. Matt, Matt um, answers the question, and in doing so, uh, ref makes the question uh, a sharp, sharper one for us. In other words, um, given that God is concerned that people get too close lest they die, is it that God will kill them and will be angry that they got too close, that God is offended by their disobedience or their presence? Or, or is it that this is danger? God is dangerous. It's, too, it's like a third rail. Don't touch the third rail. The train's working fine. You can get on the train, but do not touch the third rail. That's what God is, and God knows that. So that's Matt. Matt reads the story that way, and I think it's a very, I think it's a strong reading that God is describing some inevitable uh, danger, not some um, delivery of a of a of a death penalty, right? And let's remember, I'm, I'm going to throw in another source here because it, it echoes this, this um, notion that Matt is giving us, that the people seem to feel the same way. And this passage is probably even more famous. The, the introduction to the Ten Commandments, we, we just like breeze through because we want to get to the Ten Commandments. But the moment after, we do usually notice. And in the moment after, the people say, all the people saw the thunder and lightning and the blare of the horn and the mountain smoking. When the This is after the Ten Commandments. And when the people saw it, they fell back and they stood at a distance. And they said, you speak to us and we will listen, but let not God speak to us 
lest we die. That sounds like what Matt is saying. The people just, their experience of God is, this is too much. It will kill us. We cannot handle this, right? And that's what, and that's what God has been saying. I'm too much. You cannot handle it. It will kill you. Now, then the question is why? But Matt has given us a, 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 a Matt has given us um, an, an, an avenue to pursue here. Could it be that God is just dangerous? And why, why is that so? What does it mean? I mean, maybe that's an unanswerable question, but why is that so? Uh, I, since I introduced that text, let me just finish it off because Moses says something interesting. Moses says, don't be afraid. God has come only in order to test you in order that the fear of God may ever be with you so that you do not go astray. So the people stayed at a distance while Moses got close. There's that language of getting close again, okay? Pay attention to the getting close and the staying away and the getting close. And the There are a lot of key words here, right? They stood at a distance. They stood at a distance again, but Moses got close. Okay, so, so Matt has um, answered a, a, a question that, that he implies, which is, is it that God wants to kill or that God is dangerous? Matt says, God is somehow just dangerous and the people seem to agree. So what do you, th what do you think of that? And why would God be dangerous? All right, let's hear from our deadhead, our resonant deadhead, Noah Pollock. Yeah, I think it's quite interesting the instructions Moses and God give that they have to wash their clothes, separate themselves. Moses adds the caveat of not being with your wife, but the same with the other two, because I, and then building a boundary, I saw that boundary as being like the boundary it later says to build around the Torah and to guard it jealously but with the separation that was just confusing because I'm seeing the the actions between the men or women and their wives men and their wives x and y to whoever and whoever together as bringing God more into this world. And it's saying that we have to refrain from our humanistic desires in order to fully receive God and to make ourselves so separate from the, this mortal mortalness that we can really gain entrance to that heavenly plane. Okay, great. This is a, this is a great, this is a, di this is a different answer. And it is, if Matt's answer was, this is just, it's, it's, it's electric. It's the third rail. Don't touch it. It will, nobody can control that it will, it will destroy you. No, I'm hearing in Noah's description, a little bit of a different kind of answer, which is that there's a lesson here, which is that there are holy things. This is the holiest of things. And so you can't get, first of all, there's a certain kind of respect it's holy. You don't just run up to it. There's a certain kind of respect, but also there's a process. You have to become holy to approach the holy. And, and Noah points out, we'll describe the Torah that way. We'll certainly describe the tabernacle and the temple and the altar that way. You can't go too close to the altar. And the priest, and maybe that's why God keeps mentioning the priests. The priests can go to the to into the temple, but they have to purify themselves. And maybe we're getting a kind of a 
a, um, a primer here in what it takes to approach the holy. And if priests need, only priests can go into the temple, and the temple is is one of our holiest things, then who can go in to the to Mount Sinai? No one. Moses only. Maybe Aaron. Okay. So that's a little. It, it may still, you know, kill you, but it will kill you because you haven't fought, You haven't learned what it takes. You haven't. You haven't followed the guidelines of of holiness, of approaching in holiness. Okay, so it's a little bit of a different answer. Leah Matsui? Yeah, I go with the high voltage theory. Danger, high voltage, do not go further, or those signs telling us that it's radioactive and we can't go close. Only Moses has, for whatever reason, maybe he got it at the burning bush, I'll call it the hazmat suit. Only he can go close. Um, I think there's Midrash discussing Moses separating himself from Yochabed, from his wife. And, um, but Aaron and Miriam, who are also gifted with the ability, to, uh, gifted with prophecy, don't separate themselves from sex as far as I understand. But Mo, it's almost like he is a lightning rod. He's the only one who's the lightning rod for the energy and he can't share that with his partner. So he has to separate himself from his uh, wife. Okay, beautiful. this is beautiful, beautiful. Um, this is a, like a kind of a, a, a third theory though all of these theories are, are compatible. Right, as Leah starts by saying, I'm, 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 I'm with Matt on the third rail theory, but Leah adds a kind of um, an exception clause, which is the, the Moses clause. And that there's something distinct about Moses. And part of what this whole passage is emphasizing is the unique ability of Moses to be the lightning rod. For some reason, Moses can go on the mountain, can talk to God directly, can, can Moses can cross the boundaries that the other people can't can't cross? Maybe Aaron can come up with him sometimes, but part of what we're getting is a kind of a tiered system, and certain kinds of encounter with God only Moses can have. Now uh, I want to read to you uh, a very similar uh, uh, interpretation from um, the Sforno, Ovadia Sforno, fifteenth uh, century Italian commentator. Um, mostly we're not going too far into the commentaries, but I, I, but I, I thought this one was, 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 was particularly um, nice and, and, and I think it does echo exactly what Leah was saying, which is, says the Sforno, go down and warn the people not to break through when I speak to them, because perhaps they will think that they have ascended to the level of face-to-face -face prophecy. Like you, and that they can go up past the boundary line. Okay. So maybe the problem is the people are going to think, oh, we're all Moses now. Look, we're all standing around talking to God. And God gets it because God's going to be speaking to them directly. But that doesn't mean they can just run up the mountain. Yes, you are going to receive a prophecy unlike anything um, that. <laughs> that you know your average citizen has ever received before because what's distinct about this is everyone's getting it god is speaking to the entire nation not just to moses but it's still true that moses is distinct and moses is special and moses is unusual 
Now, I'm gonna keep taking interpretations, but I do wanna also say here, now that we're beginning to talk about the danger of encountering God and, and to highlight M Moses as, as perhaps exceptional, um, I'm sure some of you are thinking, and, and we ought to mention now, yeah, Moses is exceptional, but there is another famous scene that describes Moses wanting to see God and being told that Moses can't because if he does, he will die. So let's just take a look at that for a sec. So it's in our, in our conversation. Later on, when Moses is up on Mount Sinai, Moses says, oh, let me see your glory or your presence or your kavod, your honor, whatever it is, kavod is the word. And God answered, I will make all my goodness pass before you and I will proclaim before you the name of the eternal and the grace that I grant and the compassion that I show. But get, God said, lo adam lo panai. you cannot see my face. So even for Moses, there's some things that are too far. And what Moses cannot see is the face of God. Nobody can. No person can see God's face and live. Now, that's an interesting phrase. Can they see God's face and not live? Or is God's face not a thing can, that can be seen? It's not so clear from the verse. But even Moses can't see it. And then in the end, we learn that God's got, uh, you know, he's got a... a, a an, an alt, alt, alternate um, encounter, which is that Moses um, stations himself on a rock. And as, as my glory, God says, passes by, I'll put you in the cleft of the rock and shield you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take my hand away and you will see my back, but my face must not be seen. I love this. I love this moment. There's, and we could, you know, we could spend a, an hour or two just teasing out what's exactly going on there. But I bring it here just to show you that Leah's onto something, or the Sephorno's onto something that Moses has this unusual ability to speak to God. Remember when the people said, lest we die, Moses says, all right, I'm going up then, and that's just fine. But Moses can't get all the way there either, right? So, and not just he can't, if he does, he'll die. Okay, so death is a possibility for anyone here who gets too close, sees the face, disobeys the commandment, whatever it is. All right, so let's let's keep going and, and hearing um, interpretations from the group. Susan Schlesinger. My thought on it was very different, but it was almost like distinguishing how Hashem was to be treated versus idols, because idols people would go right up to talk to possibly touch because they've mm -hmm. got a very physical presence. Mm -hmm. And here we're dealing with something which is a much more spiritual concept, very different, the, almost the opposite. And to me, it seems like a differentiation from what they might do with an idol versus what they're going to do with Hashem. Okay, Susan, thank you so much for that. Because Susan makes a connection here that um, I wanted to get to eventually, and but we'll, we'll take a look at it now. There, there's a connection here. Susan says, let's, let's contrast the relationship that we are being told to have with God, relationship of proximity, right? That we're being told to have with God with the kind of relationship you might expect to have with an idol, an actual idol, like a statue, where you might be able to go up and see God and touch God and kiss God, and right? It becomes the central prohibition in our faith. No, that's not, a, that's not God, that you can't do that. 
But we think of it as just like, that's not an intellectual mistake. That's a spiritual mistake. That's not, that's just not the right relationship to have with God because God's not physical. So, okay. So Susan suggests that like, maybe that's part of how this is playing out is that this is all an extension of the, um, the intangibility of God. Okay. So let me do, let me just, let me just do, make this connection a little stronger here because there's a, there's a passage in Deuteronomy that I think, I think does some of the work of, uh, I, you know, we have a lot of theories now on the table, but I think this connection that, that Susan is suggesting, the connection um, to the prohibition on idolatry is, a, is, a, is, a, is, a, is a, an important one. And I want you to take a look at some of the language, the key language in this passage in Deuteronomy, which is, remember, Deuteronomy is Moses talking. So it's almost like Moses explaining this scene backwards. And look at what Moses says here. Okay, this is in Deuteronomy chapter four. We're not gonna read the whole thing, but we're gonna look at some key phrases. The day you stood before the eternal, your God at Chorith, and the eternal said, you gather me to the people that I may let them hear my words in order that they may learn to revere me as long as they live on earth so and, and may so teach their children. You came close, right? I'm noting all the times that we use language of close. You came close and you stood at the foot of the mountain. The mountain was ablaze with flames to the very skies, dark with the densest clouds. Now, l- listen to this language. God spoke to you out of the fire. You heard the sounds of words. But you did not see a picture. Only a voice. Now that word, and this is not a great trend. Picture is the modern Hebrew translation for and it could be translated as shape or form or representation. I, I, I translate it as picture every time, just so we could like, just so it would stand out, right? So you didn't see a picture of God. You only heard a sound of God, okay? Now, like Moses goes on and God declared to you the covenant and the 10 commandments, two tablets of stone, on and on and on. But Moses repeats, guard your lives carefully then, since you saw no picture. There it is again, kolt munah. You saw no picture. Act not wickedly and make for yourselves a sculpture or picture. I should bold all of these, right? Just so we see how often Moses says it. You saw no picture of any likeness whatsoever, the form of a man or a woman, the form of a beast on earth, the form of any winged bird that flies in the sky, the form, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. No picture, no picture. And then finally, take care not to forget the covenant that the eternal God forged with you and not to make for yourselves a sculpture or picture of anything against which the eternal God has enjoined you. Because, and this is, this is like quite a, a, a punchline, a final phrase. Because the eternal, your God, ish ochlahu, is a consuming fire. Elkanah, an impassioned God. Okay, now that scene, remember, 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 you only heard things, you didn't see anything. So don't make any pictures, never make any pictures. There was no picture, you only heard a voice. Keep that in mind because God is, guard your lives because God is a consuming fire. Now it's quite a phrase and it sort of fits into our conversation. God is a consuming, oh, I guess God can burn people up, God, okay. But it's the word picture there that gets repeated so often that I want us to pay attention to 
as, as Susan wanted us to pay attention to, because where do we see that word very prominently, just a few, a few uh, just, a, um, just in the midst of the scene we were looking at, right? Some of you probably thinking the second commandment, the second commandment. Let's go back for a second, and then I'm gonna open it up again. To the 10 commandments, here they are. Oh, here they are. God spoke all these words saying, That's the first command. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You, you shall have no other gods before me. Here's the prohibition on idolatry. Now, first of all, I have to point out that before me in Hebrew literally is on my face. Alpanai. We've seen God's face, or we've talked about God's face. We haven't seen God's face, but we've talked about it before. So that's interesting. But then in the next verse, we get our key word. Don't make for yourself a sculptured image or any picture. There it is, of what is in the heavens above or in the earth below. Do not do that. And if, if those weren't enough echoes, it's also true that, um, that I, the eternal, your God, am an impassioned God. Okay, same language there at the bottom where we looked at God being described as a consuming fire and impassioned God. Okay, that's a lot of connection. And I, it makes me think that Susan is on to something. So that's, a, there's a, there, I don't know exactly what to do with it yet, but there's, there seems to be something about the prohibition on representing God in visual form. Remember, God warned them not to break up, to gaze at God, to look at God. You hear God, that's fine, but you don't, you're not face to face. You don't see God's, even Moses couldn't see God's face. So don't think that you're going to see God's face and don't try to represent God, right? There's, that's clear, something major is going on here. I'm going to, I'm going to stop there, but, but I just, I, I, I thank Susan for that. Cause there's a real, there's a really, there's a really important thread to, to chase down. Here. Okay. Let's keep going. Uh, Hal and Kathy. Uh, yeah, I think this is just, uh, this is really great. Uh, and um, I, I mean, I definitely am of the, you know, the school that it, it doesn't seem like it needs so much explanation as to why being too close to God is dangerous. I mean, that seems kind of, you know, the high voltage, you know, um, the, but what I'm sort of struck with is going back to that first uh, kind of um, uh, a warning from or uh, yeah, to Moses, um, that beware of going up up the mountain or touching the border of it. That that's the one he you know doesn't kind of implement exactly. But but I'm really struck with what that means. Like what's the border? Like what's the what's the mountain? Where does the mountain begin? I mean, it's not that clear. You know, when you're going up a mountain, I've gone up plenty of mountains and, you know, like when does the mountain start and where's the border of it? And there's not a sort of clear space. So to me, that kind of, you know, that all, almost makes it, you know, sort of more difficult, the fact that there's not an exact clear border. And what it reminds me of is the way we're always dealing with that, the fact that, you know, we can talk about light and dark and day and night and that sort of thing, but the whole there's so much seems to me to be so much emphasis on the borderlands, you know, between them that even Ma'ariv Aravim is about the mixing that takes place at the borders between, um, uh, you know, day and night. And, uh, 
and 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 all that sort of thing. So there's something about the border not being that clear and that somehow, you know, we can talk liminal space or we can talk, you know, just ambiguity. I don't know that there's something there. And then sort of linking it to seeing and hearing. I'm wondering if that's kind of the border is like between, you know, you don't see and hear things at the same place. You always hear things much uh, faster than you see things. And, you know, and, and where it's really obvious is when it thunders and, you know, the difference between hearing thunder and seeing lightning. Uh, and so, I don't know, I just wonder if there's something about that. that I, lo I love, I, thank you so much for that, Kathy. The, first of all, incredibly um, insightful, incisive comment there that there's, God says make a border around Sinai, but it's not so clear where the border would begin. And maybe this makes sense of the fact that Moses comes back and says, yeah, yeah, we are, we heard, you know, you don't go up and touch the mountain, but, but God's saying, no, 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 but there's a, there's a borderline. There's a specific, you, there's certain boundary past which you cannot go. And we see this again and again, later on, Moses ascends with Aaron and the elders to a certain point on the mountain, and then they stay and Moses goes up further, right? So there's a lot of that, that question of what exactly is the boundary on and then and then I love so first of all thank you for that because that does that that element of, of ambiguity of uncertainty around where exactly the boundary line is I think is 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 a very helpful note to enter into this conversation but what you did at the end there Kathy it was to suggest that we can begin to abstract this a bit because there's the literal physical boundary line, sure. And that's part of what we're trying to figure out. Where do, can they go halfway up the mountain? Just at the, as soon as it starts to ascend, like what's the, how, how far back do they have to be? So all of those physical geographical questions are relevant. But Kathy suggests, th think about the border as, as, as a, a kind of, um, a, a, kind, a, a more spiritual or intellectual boundary line. What does it mean to get too close to God? Not maybe not just physically, but what does it mean to get to to a try to have a relationship with God that it is impossible to have, or to get to I can actually see God, I can actually touch God. Like that's dangerous language. Even if you take the physicality out of it, there's something about that that's like no, no, that's the opposite. That's the that's the whole point. You cannot get all the way there. That's what our God is, is, is unknowable. So to think that you can just, you have to be careful of that boundary line as well. Okay, so that's, and this is good because, because I think I want us to be able to, to, to look at this scene and not just worry about the, the third rail, but also the, the larger message of what it is the Torah is saying is just too much God, too much knowledge of God, too much encounter. What is, what is that? What is that exactly? Okay, let's keep going. Jen? I feel uh, so off the rails <laughs> with the third rail theory, like so much. And the, the thing that's knocking me off the rails is the second half of that, which says, lest you be stoned or shot. Like that's not you, oh shoot, you saw my fire, you're gonna be burned up. Oops, that's, I am, I or someone else am shooting arrows at you <laughs> if you cross that boundary. To the point that when we first read it, I actually thought that God was telling the people to set that boundary themselves and enforce it on somebody who passed it. So to me, like this sounds a lot, and I don't know that that's the case, although like arrows 
raining down from heaven just is the silliest image to me. It just doesn't fit. <laughs> um, so like to me, I'm reading it much more as the, this particular passage as being about like ritual and respect um, than being about like the power of God because like the power of God is not rocks coming out of nowhere. Um, it's that fire and thunder and those big dramatic things. Um, so like to me, this passage just, it sticks out. It just feels different than the other things that we're reading. Good, good, good. Okay, Jen makes the point we've we've been approaching even stronger by saying it's the, the physicality of it all is almost like absurd. It's not just oh we we might want to abstract this a little go beyond, but it's just like what do you mean God's going to be throwing rocks at you if you get too close to to God? Like that, that, what is going on? Like there must and and so Jen begins to stake a claim in the other side of the of the of the debate that Matt set up for us, which is that this isn't about oh, don't touch that button. This is about back off, have some respect for God. This is God. Just don't, don't rush the stage. It's God, right? Because what is it? Otherwise, it's, there's something kind of silly about it. And God's angry and I'm going to throw things at you or I'm going to, I'm going to get you, you know? Something about, does, yeah, okay, great. The revelation at Mount Sinai, the greatest encounter with God we've ever had in itself is dangerous. To, for God to, to reveal to the people some great presence is dangerous because it's very easy once you have a moment like that to think, now I can touch God. Now I can see God. Now I can know God. And, and yes, God wants us to know God, but it's dangerous because don't think you can know too much or else you're in, you're in the land of, of idolatry. You're in the land of, of, of error. And that idolatry, after all, does incur the death penalty. You do, if, if you start worshiping idols, then, then you will be put to death, right? So the very revelation which tells you that also invites you to idolize the experience itself. And that's part of the danger, right? So unfortunately, we have to stop here. I think we've gotten to, we've gotten, we've gotten to some good places. There's obviously more to do here. Um, but. Uh, I wish you a uh, happy revelation. Just, you know, be careful. <laughs> okay, that's it. A taste of our weekly Parsha class. Uh, I want to thank everyone who came to the class, some of whose voices you may have heard today. Uh, some you didn't because the podcast has been edited. So just want to thank everybody. Um, and speaking of editing, I want to thank also our uh, editor, Vera Blossom, for her great work. If you'd like to join our class sometime and come and, and join our, our circle of, of Torah geeks, you can find us, uh, again, Thursdays, 12 p.m. online at ikar.org. That's I-K-A-R.org. And, uh, and if you go to the calendar, uh, then you can find a Zoom link and just click in. And, um, and in the section uh, on the website uh, that, that uh, we keep our classes, you can, if you click on Parsha Study, you'll find all of our archive classes and source sheets and everything we discussed there. So if you're looking for a regular Parsha class, I'd love to see you. Um, and, uh, and in the meantime, I will talk to you next week. <laughs>